You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Hey, thank you. Well, good morning. Yeah, Annette said that we're going to be in costume, and I said, well, I don't know what to wear. She said, just go to your closet, man. You've got, you got stuff that goes back 40 years. Just throw it on. It'll work. So I, I actually think that's kind of the genre we're going to be part of. But uh, have you ever figured out what your purpose is in life? I mean, have, have you ever just sat down, and, and, and this is really a God thing, when you start to figure out, why am I here on this planet? And I think the reason I'm here on this planet, my, my, my purpose, my mission, is to help make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. That, that's why I'm here. And it's been that way for most of my life. And I'm so thankful that I get to partner with him, I get to partner with you, see all these kinds of things happen. You know, we've been in a series called Family Life. We've talked about everything about family I think that we can talk about. And I thought it'd be good for us to just extend it a little further. And let's talk a few things about our family, this church family. So we're still calling it Family Life because that's what it is. It's our family. How do we function here? What are the things that we need to know, especially when it comes to making disciples who make disciples. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. That's Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We have some Bibles around the building. They're uh, blue Bibles. You can pull one out, and you can use that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take that home with you. Just let it be a gift from us to you. We want you to have a Bible. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 today. And this is something that's always been one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4 and the passage, the verses that we're going to look at, have to do with the calling of the first disciples. I love diving into this passage of Scripture. And it seems like every time I do, I learn something different. I learned something new. And so today, what I want to talk to you about out of this passage is this. The three transformative qualities that we tend to overlook but are essential in making disciples who make disciples for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever looked at Scripture and you've gone maybe and read a passage eight or ten, sometimes twenty times, and each time you do, something new pops up. You know, something new and different is right there, and it really, it changes your life. And, and when I looked at this passage of Scripture, I found a few things that we wouldn't necessarily just fall upon and say, yeah, that's pretty obvious. What I want to talk to you about today are things that aren't so obvious in this passage. And so I'm going to read it. Maybe you can pick a few of those things up, but we'll talk about it when we're done reading the Scripture, verses 18 through 22. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. 
Three things that are right in this passage of Scripture that I want us to pay attention to today, and they really have changed my life. They really have had a, a transformative difference in the way that I look at discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to lead others to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus never does anything through addition? You know, that's not his math. That's not his formula. Jesus always does things through multiplication. Do you know that? I mean, think about the life of Jesus, everything he did. It was about multiplication. That's why I love to follow him. He's not just making, he's not just adding one and one and two. He's multiplying, and everything he does multiplies. And I'm thinking, now that's the person I want to hang out with. And that's the person I want to have something to do with as far as his kingdom, what he's up to, what he's doing. Let's get involved in multiplication. And so the first transformative quality that I see here is a very simple one. It says that Jesus saw. Now you'll notice it says it in two places. Both pertain to when he saw disciples. He saw two brothers and then he saw another two brothers. The word saw is just incredible for me. Can you imagine, just think of this for just a moment. Imagine yourself being seen by the creator of the universe. I mean, you want to talk about penetrating? Because he knows everything about you. He knows the good, bad, and ugly. That it says here that Jesus sees these two sets of brothers. I can't imagine what it would be like to physically be in the presence of Jesus, have him look at you, and know you've been seen. I mean, that's pretty incredible. The same eyes, the same mouth, the same ears that were there present at the creation of the universe. This is incredible. He sees them. And there's something about all of us. Did you know you were wired this way? I think everyone that's been on this planet, everyone who will ever be on this planet, longs to be seen. There's something deep in your soul, deep in your spirit, that longs to be seen. You long to be validated. You long to be affirmed. You long to be noticed. And here, what we recognize is Jesus is seeing. He's noticing these disciples. And when Jesus notices, when he affirms, it goes deep. It changes your life. Absolutely. And what's amazing here is he sees with intentionality. He really does. There's a passage of scripture. I think it's in uh, Matthew chapter 9. And I love this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he, what? He saw. That's powerful. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when we talk about making disciples that make disciples, this quality of God's gaze, this quality of seeing like Jesus makes all the difference in the world. That it can revolutionize our lives. I remember the first time that I was actually literally seen by someone outside of my family. And I want to talk to you. When I talk about seeing, you know, we, we couch it in terms, in phrases today. When we talk about seeing, it usually has to do with our entertainment. It doesn't have to do with the intentionality of God. Here, this is about the intentionality of God. This is about seeing the way Jesus sees. I remember I was about 10 years old and I had some high school kids that were in the youth group. And they saw me. And, and, and I knew they saw me and they invited me to participate in a game that they were playing. And I remember that was one of the first times I went, wow, I've been seen by someone older than me, someone has more influence than I do, and it makes all the difference in the world. I was blessed. I was fortunate. I grew up in a place where uh, my parents, the coaches around me, the spiritual leaders around me saw something in me and they called it out. 
They saw something in my life and they called it out in my life. That's what we need to be about today. We need to be about people who are making disciples, who make disciples, and we have to see with intentionality. So seeing with intentionality communicates a few things. Now, I just put down three because that's the preacher's magic number. Uh, they're, they're probably eight or 10 or 12 or 15. But I put down three that I think about the most. Number one, seeing with intentionality communicates value. Communicates value. That when someone knows and understands they've been noticed by God through you, there's a value that's communicated, that you are valuable, that you are worth something, that you have something to offer. We live in a world today that, that, that will just shine things off and shine people off, and we're not supposed to do that. The, the Word says that wherever we are, wherever we go, we want to see with intentionality, and that means when we do that, in Jesus' name, we give value. We give value to the world we're part of. We give value to the relationships we're in. We give value wherever we go. It's not just about being in church. This is about a lifestyle. Please hear me. This is about a lifestyle. This is about allowing the Holy Spirit to train your eyes, to train your vision, to see with intentionality. Where can this happen? This can happen at the workplace. This can happen on the football field. This can happen on the baseball field. This can happen in school, happen in the grocery store. Wherever you are is where you are. So see like Jesus sees. And when you do that, you bring value to others' lives. Here's another thing that you see when you see with intentionality. It communicates purpose. That what you're saying about the people you're around is, hey, you have a purpose. I mean, you're here on this planet for a reason. You're here for a reason. Can I, can I tell our parents, our grandparents to do this? Please do not hesitate to speak purpose into the life of your children and grandchildren. And those that you influence, those other young people that you influence, they are hungry today to know why they're here on this planet. And we wonder, why is there such wandering? Why is there such lack of purpose? I'm going to say this. I think it's because we haven't had enough people seeing like Jesus sees that calls out the purpose in other people's lives, especially our youth. I want to look at them and say, man, you got purpose. Wow. you got a purpose. And you know what I'm going to do? I want to help you discover that purpose. I want to walk with you. See, that's one of the greatest joys of my life is to walk with people and help them discover the purpose of God while they're on this planet. And to be able to say, wow, here it is. Here's the purpose that God has given you. Seeing with intentionality not only communicates value and purpose, but it communicates healing. Uh, Have you ever, I, I don't know if you've ever just stopped and thought about what happens in someone's soul when someone looks at them and sees them as valuable and as purpose-filled, that there's something that happens that's of a healing quality. There's, there's voids that are filled. There's wounds that are healed. When we see like Jesus sees, we can bring healing to the world that we live in. You want to know where healing will come from in a messed up world? It comes from God's people who see with intentionality. Who really look and say, I want to see you like Jesus sees you. And what happens? I'll tell you, there's great healing that comes from seeing like Jesus sees. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. <laughs> when he sees you, he sees all of you. You all know that? So what he sees is he sees your brokenness. He sees your sin. I mean, he goes deep into your heart, deep into your soul. He knows you. He wired you. He made you. So when he looks at you, he's seeing everything. He's seeing things other people don't know about you. He sees everything. Now, here's the miracle. Here is the miracle. Do not overlook this. He sees everything about you, your sin and your brokenness. 
The second is this. The second point is with all that, he still invites you. Whoa! God, you mean you know I'm all broken? Yeah. You know I'm full of sin? Yeah. You know I'm working at this. I'm hard. It's hard. It's tough. But this is me. This is who I am. And Jesus says, yes. And then what does he say? And you see that in Matthew 4. Come, follow me. I see you. I see everything about you. And he says, come, follow me. If that's not a miracle of grace, I don't know what is. And you all should be saying, thank God, because my life is really messed up at times. And what does he say? He sees me and he says, come and follow me. Whoa. That you are invited, that Jesus invites. That's what it says in Matthew 19 and 21. He says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I know you're broken. I know you have sin in your life. And Matthew chapter 9, he says, he looked and he saw them broken. They were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. What does he say? Come and follow me. Listen, there's no greater thing that you can do on this planet than follow Jesus Christ. And you're being invited to follow him. The invitation of Jesus, I want you to hear this. The invitation of Jesus is more about a person than it is a place. You know, usually when we think about inviting, like we did a little while ago, the bump and pumpkin, we want to invite you to this place. What we're saying here about invitation is Jesus is inviting you to himself. He says, come to me, follow me. And so when I'm inviting people, when I'm making disciples that make disciples and I see them and I invite them, I'm not inviting them necessarily to a place. I'm inviting them to a relationship with the Lord and Savior. I'm inviting them to the creator, to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. I'm inviting them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. Yes, when we invite, we're often inviting people to a place. But I want to just tweak you a little bit and say, when you see people like Jesus sees them, you're inviting them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have freedom. That we have forgiveness of sin. I call this Jesus hospitality. Been using that a lot lately. Hope you start to use it as well. This is Jesus hospitality. Jesus hospitality says this, always saying this, come unto me and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Body, soul, and spirit. It's not as surfacey as we make it because the English word doesn't really get deep into that. He's saying, come unto me and I'll give your body, I'll give your soul, and I'll give your spirit rest, shalom, peace, that you've never known or understood before. You can come to me and you can be safe. I'll tell you, we need a safe harbor today. We need a person we can go to. It's Jesus Christ that says, come unto me, you that are heavy laden, you that are heavy burdened, you that are broken, come to me and I'll give you rest. See, Jesus invites you to him and when you come to him, what does he give us? He gives us this incredible, incredible rest. I love that about Jesus Christ. Now, here's what it is. Hospitality in an inhospitable world. We are becoming more inhospitable. Would, I mean, would you say that? I, I, would. I, I would. I would think that we become a lot more inhospitable. And what is the way that you and I can shine our lights today is through hospitality. And when I say hospitality, again, I'm not talking just about a cup of coffee. I'm not talking about just a meal. But everything about me is hospitable. 
(laughs) My words, my heart, my spirit, the way that I live life. That's what Jesus did. He walked through his days, the three and a half years he was on this planet, and everyone thought they could have a, they could have a piece of him, you know? He, was, he, he let people into his space. Now, I get a little claustrophobic. And sometimes I get tired of people being in my space. Maybe you, you know, experience the same thing. But Jesus didn't. I mean, imagine a woman who has a disease of blood. She feels that she's invited into a space without him saying anything. She comes up and touches the hem of his garment. He says, hey, who just touched me? Who just came into my space? Come on, you can be healed. You come to me. Blind Bartimaeus, I mean, of all the people that that should have never been invited to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, it was him, a poor, blind, pauper sitting on the wayside next to a wall in Jericho. He gets the news. The hubbub of Jesus is making it to him. And what does he say when he hears the crowds walk by? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And you know what the disciples do? They say, you know, you need to be quiet because you're not quite his type. You need to be quiet. You know, you're not quite as religious. You don't have enough money. You don't have this and you don't have... That's what they were doing because that's what the disciples were saying to him. Shh, be quiet. He doesn't want to be bothered with you right now. You know what Jesus says? He calls out and he invites him to his space. He said, blind Bartimaeus, come into my space. Come here. Today you'll experience my hospitality in your life. And I love this. You know how hospitality shows itself here? It shows itself by this amazing question that Jesus asked that, that, is, that is so rare when you talk about people coming in contact with someone who was poor during that day. This is a question that Bartimaeus had probably never heard. This is a question I think Jesus asked that started the emotional healing in Bartimaeus before the physical healing was ever seen. You know what he says, Bartimaeus? And I just love to, I love to see my, I love to watch this. Bartimaeus, what is it I can do for you? How can I serve you? How can I be hospitable to you? Whoa. Now I know this. There's a caste system in those days. And here he would have never heard that from anyone else. But Jesus says, what is it I can do for you? That is Jesus' hospitality working right there. What is it? What is it, Bartimaeus? What is it I can do for you. That's what happens here. He's invited into the space of Jesus. I love that. Listen, Jesus' hospitality looks for opportunities to invite. That's what it does. It just looks for opportunities to invite. Inviting people into our space. Inviting people into our lives. And saying, come, you know, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us to do. You think about inviting. You think about hospitality. I got I'll tell you, I got some good news for all of us. This is so exciting. I don't know. How many know that we planted a Hispanic church about uh, 10 years ago? Los Hechos means the axe. That's what it means. Los Hechos. Some of you do. Uh, Los Hechos was here with us for about three or four years. They went and got another facility in Canby. And just recently they found out that the lease is up. And uh, that that they're going to sell the building. And so I, it was so much fun. Sat down with Alejandro 
and Cindy uh, Garcia, who are the pastors of Los Hechos. And this is what we did. We talked about them coming back on our campus. They're going to be here at the end of November. And they're going to have a Los Hechos service at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon in Building 1 and 2. Isn't that great? That's exciting stuff. And this is why I'm excited. It's because the hospitality that I've learned from Pastor Alejandro and Cindy is incredible. It's made a difference in my life. And what we get to do is we get to partner together and extend hospitality not only to each other, but we get to extend hospitality to a community. And we're going to do this together. And it's coming, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's at the, uh, the end of November that they'll be here on campus. And here's the third thing. So we've talked about what does it look like to make disciples who make disciples. Certainly Jesus saw, Jesus invited. But the third thing, and this is important, it's so important because we don't want to be out on a limb with nothing. Jesus supported. He says, come follow me and I'll do something. I will make you fishers of men. So if he's calling you, he'll equip you. He'll train you. See, some of us stop too short. We get right there and we don't step into the call. We're not obedient to the place that he's asking us to go. And we wonder why nothing ever happens. You have to be obedient to step in to the invitation and invite others. And then what does he do? It says he supports you. He's not leaving you out there hanging to dry somewhere. He brings support to your life. That's what I love. That when you're called, you're supported. Here's what does support mean or what does it look like? There are a few things. Again, um, I mixed it up a little bit. It's not three, it's four, uh, but there are more. Um, and these things are important to me. These are things that I look at when I think about support in my own life. When I think about this church extending support to disciples, here are some things that, that come to my mind. First of all, has to do and has everything to do with culture. It has everything to do with the environment of the church. That is this a place? Do, is it part of our culture? Is it who we are that we support disciples in the disciple-making process? And I, want, I know that's true. It's been in our DNA. You look around. We have Canby Bible College. We have the internship. We have life groups. We have support groups for all kinds, all kinds of places and all kinds of avenues of life. We do that here. What's, what we're saying is this, is we're saying this is a culture. It's an environment that supports those that are becoming disciples for Jesus. They're on the journey. This is a great place. You have allowed this to happen. It's amazing. This is the way it's been for a long, long time. The other thing we, we, we know and that's important to me as far as how does it, how, what does it look like to support has to do with mentors. Listen, there's formal mentors in our lives. There's informal. There's passive. There's intense. There's all kinds of mentors that come in our lives. But mentors are important. They're so important. And here's what I love about this. What is a men, what's a basic job of a mentor? You know, so what's that? I put, I'll make it really easy to walk alongside. Notice what Jesus did. Notice, and in Matthew chapter 4, it says, as he, as he was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee. Listen, that's another sermon. I could, I could, put, I could preach a three-part series on just that phrase right there. Because most of the wonderful mentoring that's happened in my life, and probably in yours, has come because someone is walking alongside of you. It's amazing. It's amazing, and that's what Jesus did. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Go through the Gospels and look at how many times there was a miracle or a breakthrough or a deliverance with Jesus going from here to there. 
<laughs> it, it, it didn't always happen at the destination. It happened along the way. Blind Bartimaeus, uh, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, meets him in Jericho. Zacchaeus, on the way, meets him in Jericho. Zacchaeus is saved. Look at all the things that happen on the way. You can never underestimate the power of mentoring on the way. Along the way. You don't have to get into a classroom. You can if you want. But you don't have to. It's along the way. It says life is unfolding. It's in the journey. That's what I love. And here's another one. This is really important. What does support look like? It looks like giving opportunities. You can talk about this all you want. But if you can't participate uh, you don't really get a feel for what's going on. You, you, it's hard to grow as a disciple if you're not participating in the process. You cannot be a spectator in this. He won't let you be a spectator. It's about participating. So we want to create opportunities. Another way to put it is just continue to make room. There's training and releasing that goes on here. A lot of training and releasing that happens. And so it's giving opportunity. Giving opportunities to all of you to to. to to see what Jesus is up to in your life. You know how you find out purpose? By the way, these two are connected. Finding out purpose and really discovering who you are and purpose has to do with this right here. It's participating. Listen, it's not going to come from a sign in the sky. It's going to come as you take one step, the next step, and the next step. That's when the discovery process happens. And here's the last one. It's resources. Providing resources. So when we say, uh, come and follow Jesus, Support means providing resources, uh, a roof over our heads. Um, it, it, involves, it, listen, it involves money and time. It says we give our time as we give our money. There's a resource that is provided for others to become like Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. And I love this because this morning we have really seen a microcosm of what it is to be a disciple. You saw water baptism. You're hearing this message out of Matthew chapter 4 about following Jesus. And then what does it take? It takes resources to do that. This is part of who we are. I want us to do this. I want us to pay particular attention to the resources that we have given and what God is, how God has used you to bless others. And so I want Pastor James to come up here and he's just going to share with you some things that have to do with resourcing. What we do to steward our time and money. That is very godly. It's an, you forget something? I forgot my oh, you did? Okay. I said there's water up here, but... Sorry about that. Are you going to drink this? Uh, no, oh, thank you. All right, good. Hey, guys. Um, I'm James. I get the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here. Uh, which means that I get to help oversee all the business and financial operations of the church, staff development, insurance, legal, all that kind of stuff. I love my job. It's a great job. Um, And so we wanted to come together with you guys today uh, to give you a bit of an annual report to show you where um, and how we have stewarded the resources that God has entrusted to us through you. The reason we're doing this now is that our organization works on a fiscal year that starts in September and ends in August. And so our fiscal year just ended August 30th. So we spent a couple of months putting some data together. Now we wanted to give you kind of a report for where we've been over the 12 months that ended August 30th. So the first thing I want to show you is what we call our general fund 
contributions and our expenses. So you can see that uh, the bar on the left is all the income or the contributions that we've received over those 12-month period of time that's just north of $1.6 million. And then expenses were about $1.5, which means that we had a positive net change of almost $90,000 over this past fiscal Yee-hoo. year, which means that you guys have given generously we've stewarded wisely. So that has been, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, to those of you who give here at New Life, we are grateful for the work that you have done, for the sacrifices that you have made. Um, we are so thankful uh, for how you have contributed to helping this be a place that makes disciples, who makes disciples. And then also our department heads and our team leaders and our mm-hmm. facility guys and our HR people all do a really fantastic job stewarding the resources in a way that is the most effective that we can do. So I just want to show you a little bit about where some of that money went. You can see here's a little pie graph to show you. Uh, our biggest cost is personnel. We have 30 employees on staff here at New Life Foursquare Church. And that number for churches our size is a little bit higher than normal. And there's a couple of reasons for this. A, a church our size will not typically have a full-time Bible school that grants a two-year degree will not typically have a full-time internship that's now leading five of our young people into the next generation of church leadership and won't typically have a pastoral care department that has two lay biblical advisors and, um, and a licensed professional counselor mm-hmm. who offer for free services to our church and to our community along the lines of mental health and pastoral care. So those three areas. So Ron looked at me one time. He's like, James, how much of that 57% goes to Canby Bible College, the internship, and our pastoral care department? I was like, I don't know. I don't know, 5 or 7%. And he was like, okay, cool. And we walked off. And then I thought, what, 5 or James, honestly, 5 or 7? What is it? So I went back, brought up some spreadsheets, worked with my team. We figured it out. It's 65 so it's 6.5% of our personnel goes to fund those things. And those are commitments that we don't take yeah. lightly. Those are commitments that we have made intentionally that means that we don't have 6.5% of that budget to do other things. But we want to do those things. We want to help train people up through Canby Bible College, which is fantastic, by mm-hmm. the way, um, through the New Life Internship. And Pastor Annette does a wonderful job leading those young people through our pastoral care department that sees dozens of people a year through their most difficult times. Mm-hmm. Those are investments that we want to continue to to make as a church, and we'll continue to do so as long as we have the funding to do so. So uh, the next uh, slice of the pie is our tithe. As we encourage you to give a percentage of your income uh, to the church, we also, as a church, give a percentage of what we make to our denomination, and that goes to help support church planting movements and missional opportunities in the region and around the world as well. Uh, Our facility costs are roughly 9% of the budget, so so 9 cents of every dollar you use will go to make sure that the lights stay on, that our insurance is up to date, that we've got all the supplies that we need. And if you keep in mind, we have an amazing campus, Mm -hmm. that what we have here is a gift, that as people come is an expression of our hospitality, the very buildings themselves and the landscaping, and the way that it stays incredibly clean. We have 33 toilets on campus, okay? That that means something. And I think two of our most invaluable and incredible employees are Zach and Juana, our custodial team, who just the two of them keep this place looking amazing throughout the week. So we have incredible people who do that. We've got an... Inc- Wait, 33 toilets? 33 toilets on, yeah. Man, I learn something new every time yeah. I hang out with you. Because that's true. I didn't These know that. These are the that. things that's, I care about. Yeah, man, so. that's great. I, it's amazing. 
So all of that, we, we, anyway, we're proud. We've got great people who help us in that regard. The next one is ministry operations. That's, what, that's the slice of the pie that helps run everything that you see here. That's what helps run um, all your children's classrooms. And we've got world-class children's ministry mm-hmm. leaders. We've got a wonderful next-gen department. We've got all of the things that go on gets funded through there. And then our mortgage is 7% of general fund, which means that if you think about your own home life, typically speaking, your mortgage or rental costs are going to run you anywhere between like 25 to 45 or even 50% of your total income, right? For us here at a church, um, if you add up mortgage and our facility costs, that's only 15 or 16%. So what that means is that our overhead to run church, to have these buildings in this campus is very low relative to what it could be and certainly other peers of churches our size. And I know, Ron, you want to talk about how that impacts the way that... affects the things that we do around hospitality and church planting. Yeah, because one of the things that was decided, and you need to know that that is low by intention. That was a decision that was made a long time ago, and here's how we made the decision. We made the decision based on the Great Commission. We decided that if God was going to ask us to go plant a church or send a missionary, that when that happened, we wanted to be obedient and not immediately think about, how will this impact our mortgage? Because we know that a lot of churches might function that way or fall into that trap. We did not want to fall into that trap. So our concern was more about the Great Commission than it was about a great campus. And God's given us actually both, by the way. It's pretty cool. But here it is. We are dealing with the Great Commission. And when we are asked to do something, we're not stopping and going, okay, let's get our calculators out and figure out what's the impact going to be when we send these people on our paying our mortgage. We don't have to do that. And you have blessed us that way. We keep it low so we can go. That's a nice phrase. I like that. I did. That's yeah, pretty you just cool. came up with Write that. Write that one down. Yeah. All right. uh, the next one is savings. Um, we intentionally set aside a portion of every dollar that gets given to the church to make sure that the church can withstand a financial downturn. You guys probably recall 2007 through 2010 wasn't a great time. Uh, so out of the Great Recession, what we saw is that the church was running a deficit for several years, which means that the savings that we did have during that period of time began to shrink and shrink and shrink so that around 2010, we had essentially zero dollars in savings. And so now what we've decided to do is to say, we want to be good stewards of what God has given us, and we want to make sure that we can continue to operate at the levels that God has called us to, regardless of the broader economic trends. And so what we've decided to do, we use a metric called days of cash on hand. That means that if for whatever reason, the funding to the church were to shut off tomorrow, how long could the church continue to operate at its current rate? And in 2010, that, that number was essentially zero. We'd be out of money tomorrow. Today, that number sits at 75, 75 which yeah. is a tremendous buffer for us. And this is the same thing if you've been through Dave Ramsey. He'll say, get three to six months of emergency savings in the bank. And so we wanted to take that advice seriously as well. And so we're on track to hit 90 days shortly. And when that happens, what we want to do is continue to take any above and beyond to pay down our mortgage even further so we can be aggressive about getting mm-hmm. out of debt. Uh, the last category is called living sideways. And this was another shift in our thinking several years ago. Mm -hmm. We said we want to become even more intentional about using dedicated general fund dollars to make a difference in our community and around the world. And so there's a pool of money that we use to help support church planters, to help support missionaries, uh, to help do community engagement. It's where VBS and Can Be Cares and the wonderful things, Bump and Pumpkin, all of that money comes from uh, that pool that we've set aside there. So that's what goes on in our um, general 
general fund. Now, in addition to that, you'll see on the inside of your annual report there a lot of the, uh, some more information about where we've invested in internationally as well through submissions opportunities. And we have a lot to celebrate there through the work that Pastor Arlene has done in East Africa, through what the Masons are doing over in Albania. There's some wonderful things that you guys have helped contribute significantly to and we're very proud of. I want to finish by just pointing out one more thing. The group that helps make all of these decisions is what we call our church council. They are the ones who many years ago decided that our, uh, that our mortgage won't be in the 20, 30, and 40% of general funds so that we would have the ability to go. And so that is a group of you guys. It's church members representing the congregation, working closely with Pastor Ron and myself on a monthly basis to help steward the financial aspects of this church. And right now, we're, uh, cre- we're having an open call for church council members and those who are interested in serving in this capacity. Just a few things things that you can see there. We meet on Tuesday evenings once a month. The primary responsibility is to help ensure the financial and fiscal integrity of the church, representing the needs and the desires of the congregation back to our church staff. We put together a little kind of job description, an ideal church council member. Obviously, you need to love Jesus and care deeply for the Great Commission and the vision of the church to make disciples who make disciples. We want to know that you've had experience making good decisions in collaboration with other people. This is a, a, the decision that are made by our church council have a long-lasting impact. Ron already mentioned that with respect to our mortgage. That we desire people who are collaborative and not argumentative, that are aware of how um, the church is positioned within the broader culture. Now, obviously, this is um, a, a role that requires some degree of business understanding, um, like right now, we're leading the church through a refinance process, and so an amortization schedule and income statements and balance sheets and things like that are things that we look at on a regular basis and need to be understood, and we can help train you in that. So we're not just looking for those who have high levels of business engagement. Obviously, that's a bonus, but if you feel strongly that you feel like maybe God is calling you towards this, here's your next step. Go ahead and connect with me. Right now, I want to show you kind of the timeline of what's going to come up next. Today's August 30th, so we're making this call for church council members. Five or six weeks from now on the 6th of December, that will be the deadline for putting in an application. And the application is, come talk to me. Write me an email. I'll be in the lobby after service as well. Um, Then that following Tuesday, the 13th, we'd like to have those who have been selected as applicants meet with our current church council. Church council members become council members by a vote or ratification of the church membership. Well, what that means is is that there might be five or six people who you have no idea about, but you're asked to either vote on or ratify. So what we try to do is say, we've gone through and done our due diligence and vetted these people, and we're now presenting them to you as the congregation as people to whom it seems right to the Holy Spirit and to us that these are people who will help guide the church in this upcoming season. Then on the 8th, after the holidays, uh, we'll have a vote or a ratification of those church council members, and then they'll start the next Tuesday. So we're excited about this process. People who have served on church council, um, it's a high and it's a holy honor, and we're looking forward to see who those next folks might be. So again, your next step is to connect with us. And as always, we desire there to be as much transparency and honesty and communication around how this church operates as can be. So if you ever have any questions, please Come talk to me. I'm only an email or a phone call away. I'd love to sit down with you, answer any questions you may have. Um, encourage that strongly. We're celebrating. We had over 100 salvations this last year. 32 people get baptized. Amen. We're making disciples who make disciples. Yeah. Thank you, James. Good job. Thank you, man. Good job. Was that the best family business meeting you've ever been to? I mean, really, it was. It was good.
we want to keep making disciples who make disciples. Um, if you're not clear about the reason you're here, it's about making disciples who make disciples. It is the Great Commission. And we want to be serious about the Great Commission. And we want to live the Great Commission out. I'm so thankful that Jesus sees us, that he invites us, and that he supports us in this great, great commission. Would you do this with me? Would you just bow your head just for one moment? Um, I, I want to just ask this question. Have you, ever, have you ever accepted the invitation that Jesus has given you? He's invited you into a great relationship with him. It comes with great benefits. <laughs> uh, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, all those things are what he gives us through his invitation. He's saying, come unto me. And I'll give you rest. Rest for the weary soul. Trying to fight and do your own thing. Trying to deal with the unforgiveness in your life. All these kinds of things. Jesus resolves through his life, death, and resurrection. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. If you're here today and, and you want to receive that invitation to be yours. A personal invitation to you. I'm going to ask that you do this right where you are. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you just to lift your hand and say, yep, I received that invitation from Jesus today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you just to lift your hand and acknowledge that, uh, that you need to do that. Here we go, Brett. Uh, right down here. Just lift your hand up a little bit. We're going to get something to you. We, we want to be hospitable. It's about hospitality. So we want to get you something. Put it in your hand because uh, that's what we want to do as far as hospitality. Make that contact with you. Someone probably just ask you what your name is and we're committed to pray for you. This is something you're, what you're being given as a starter kit right now uh, to knowing Jesus. Anyone else? There we go. Others that have their hands lifted. Just keep your hands up just for a moment because we want to get to you as quickly as we possibly can. If you've received the little package, then you can put your hand down. And I want to thank you for your, your courage, uh, your faith, and believing in Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. Something we say often around here is we want to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus Christ and his salvation for our lives. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. For those that lifted their hands today, let, let me ask you and invite you to do this with me. And I'm going to invite really all of us to do this. We're going to pray a prayer together. And the reason we're going to do this together, even though you may have received Christ before, we're doing it together because those that are receiving Christ today need to know and understand that they're part of a bigger family. That the decision we make to follow Jesus is not an independent one. It brings personal salvation, but it's connected to the rest of all of us. We're in this together. We're doing this together as community. And so if you would just follow me, everyone in this room, just repeat these words after me, if you would. Jesus... I accept your invitation today. I receive your eternal life, forgiveness of my sin, and all the blessing that comes my way through knowing you. Today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. We say amen. Would you applaud? Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444. 
and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.